This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for another Tuesdays with Trey. Our guest today is a gentleman by the name of Sam Lewis. And chances are you don't know him. Chances are you hadn't met him. Chances are maybe you're not familiar with him. Uh, He's not in politics or sports or entertainment. But if you believe in second chances, if you believe in the power of change, of redemption, of consequences coupled with forgiveness that good can come even when things seem bleak then you will get something out of my conversation with mr sam lewis with that sam thank you for joining us thank you trey thank you for the time greatly appreciate the opportunity to share all right sam i want you to tell our listeners what you do and what led you to want to do it absolutely so uh, what I do, I, I lead an organization in California. We do some national policy work, but uh, we focus on reentry and rehabilitative programming inside uh, prisons throughout the state of California and in our juvenile halls. And we also do reentry that allows uh, people to find careers in construction, entertainment, tech, and a number of other industries once they're released from incarceration. And the reason why I do it is because uh, when I was a teenager, I committed a, a really bad crime. And I went to prison for 24 years. And while in prison, I changed. I wanted something different. I, I, I saw that what I had done was wrong. And I wanted an opportunity, a second chance to demonstrate that I wasn't the person that people thought I was, that I, I was really a person that wanted to give back to my community and I wanted to see a better uh, community, a better city, a better state. Sam, I'm going to ask you a question that I actually ask every one of our guests. And I'm not going to treat you any differently. And that question is, tell us about the younger version of yourself. Uh, When I have people on from entertainment or sports, I say, all right, tell me what you were like in high school. So I'm going to ask Sam Lewis, tell us what you were like in high school or in the, you know, 14 to 18 year range. Great question, Trey. Uh, Honestly, as I reflect back 14 to 18, I was lost. What I know now is entirely different from what I thought and knew when I was a 14 to 18 year old. When I was 14, I was uh, caught up in gangs and drugs uh, and, and stuff that was happening in my community. I was totally negative and I was immersed in it. I take full responsibility for all the choices I made throughout my life, regardless of the age that I was. But the person that I was then was a, a angry, uh, hurt person that, that didn't know how to verbally express what he was going through to anyone and how to seek out help to understand the why. As I reflect back, that's part of why I do the work that I do to help people that come out of similar circumstances to understand the why. If you think about it, you know, when we're growing up, 
and you get your feelings hurt or something happens that, that really makes you want to express emotion, sometimes you just shut down. Uh, with kids, like they, kids pout, they poke their lip out, uh, uh, and, and they get angry. They say, well, why are you angry? And they give you the shoulder hunch. And that was me. I didn't know how to verbally express what I was feeling and, and what I was going through and how to ask for help. And so from 14 to 18, I see them as, as lost years of hurt and pain and anger that also cause others hurt and pain. You know, Sam, what you said is fascinating. I, I had, uh, she's become a friend. Her name is Amy Bart. She runs a reentry program and all she wants are the, are, are the newly released inmates that nobody else wants. She wants the toughest ones. And she took me on a video tour, and they were practicing, even once they had been released, they were practicing how to de-escalate in their own minds. And, and so, I mean, that's what made me think, okay, the young Sam Lewis, you get frustrated, you get angry, you get disappointed. How do you react? How do you respond? It makes me, it makes me think that it can be learned, that it has to be learned how to handle disappointment. So while you were incarcerated, are there programs that you look back on and say, okay, that one really helped me, or this one was well-intentioned, but it really didn't do any good. What what worked for Sam Lewis? First, when, when I was incarcerated, first, there weren't programs like that. What was available just what? There weren't any programs. You either were on the yard, uh, doing nothing, working out, running, exercising, or you were in class if, if you didn't have a, a high school diploma or a GD, GED. But things like uh, anger management, uh, uh, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that were not available uh, inside the Department of Corrections when I first entered. Uh, and so it took time for me to find something that spoke to me. And one of the first programs that I actually went into uh, was a program called Alternatives to Violence. And it teaches you de-escalation. I think it's one of the best programs. You can Google it. It's 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 uh it's national. It's international. Alternatives to Violence was started uh, many 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 years ago in the nineteen I think in the nineteen seventies uh, by Quakers that wanted to figure out how to decrease uh, violence inside state prisons. Uh, and so it teaches you de-escalation. It teaches you uh, uh, positive self affirmation. It teaches you a number, a number of different things that you normally don't find in prison. So for me, when I had first uh, heard about it, you, you can actually learn how to de-escalate a situation where it doesn't get violent. I was curious about that. How, how do you do that? And so uh, I first entered it in, uh, I think it was 1994, uh, 1995. And I stayed with it. There's, there's actually a... Uh, documentary that we did on it uh, uh, called In an Ideal World. And it shows a lot of the work that, that goes into it. And so that that definitely, Alternatives to Violence was definitely one of the programs. The other thing that happened, and this was later on to my incarceration, was the opportunity for therapy, one-on-one therapy uh, with a therapist uh, to understand what were the things that affected you through your young childhood that made you respond to the world in the way that you did. And I think everyone, uh, rather you've been incarcerated or not, should seek some level of therapy out if you, if you struggle with anything in life, communication, anything. I think therapy is something that it gives you tools to be able to communicate in a fashion that's effective 
and helps the person that you're, you're communicating to better understand you, but also allows you to be able to better communicate. And then uh, one of the most important programs lay also later on in my incarceration that I think every person should have an opportunity to go through is a program called the Victims Offenders Education Group. And what this program does, it basically helps a person who's committed a violent crime fully understand the impact of that violent crime on the families that the crime was committed against, their own family, the community, uh, and then just society at large. Like, how does that impact us? Like, it's sort of, sort of like uh, a ripple effect. If you, to- if you toss a stone in a pond, the ripple will go all the way across the side to the other pond. And what it does, it, it brings people who have committed violent crimes uh, in proximity to people who have been affected by violent crime. Uh, and the lady that I met when I first went to this program was a lady named Cheryl Kaiser Ward. If you Google her name, she's she's incredible. She's uh, she's what I call one of my heroes. And she goes into prison to share her story of what it was like to have her home invaded and to lose her husband to murder and how she responded to it and what she expected of us, people who were incarcerated, to do. And part of it was understanding that the people that you heard, it goes far deeper than that. Uh, I, I want to add this last piece, Trey. What I got from Cheryl was a deep understanding of the pain that I caused, but also I saw the resiliency in her and how she was willing to forgive if, if you held yourself accountable for what you did and worked to become a better person so that you would never, ever do that again. You know, Sam, I, I have not studied it the way you've studied it. All I have is is my anecdotal experience in a courtroom But you put your finger on something. I I saw more change when when a defendant would turn to the family and earnestly say, I am sorry for what I have done. Something happened to to the victim's families at that point, and their uh, perception, their reaction, what they were interested in, from a sentencing standpoint, changed the the power of someone saying, I am sorry for what I have done to you. Um, you've witnessed it. I've witnessed it less than you have, but I've seen it. You put your finger on, you know, so you're 17 years old. You're There was one week in a courtroom in Spartanburg, South Carolina, Sam, where four different 17-year-olds were sentenced to life without parole. And you've got four 17 or 18 year old victims and you got eight mothers. And when you see the grief, when you see the pain, not only of what you have done to your own mother, but other people's parents and siblings. uh, It is powerful. Some people call that restorative justice. I, I don't know what the right name for it is, but putting offenders and victims Together, it sounds like you are a believer that that can change everyone involved. Absolutely, uh, Trey. And you, you did use the correct term, restorative justice. I honestly believe when a person, so so, the, I think the biggest thing when we start off and we talk about uh, violent crimes and, and what happens to the people uh, that committed these crimes, they go away to prison. They're being held accountable. But accountability that brings change is not forced accountability in a sense. 
And what I mean by that is to, to clarify, you commit a crime, you go away to prison, you're being held accountable. But the kind of accountability that we also need is when the individual embraces that inco- accountability and wants to hold him or herself accountable for what they did. And that comes through that restorative justice model. That comes through therapy. That comes through a person understanding, wait a minute, what I did to another human being, what if that was me? What if that was someone that I love? What if that was someone in my family? And it begins to make you think, why did I do this? What could make me want to hurt somebody in such a fashion? These questions emerge, and they emerge just organically when you begin begin to hold yourself accountable. Uh, I have a, a really close friend of mine that, uh, he was sharing with me when he started going through the process of considering what he had done. The questions that he asked himself was, were these. Did the person that I killed, he was young like me. Did he shave? What did his family do afterwards? What do they do on his birthday? What do they do on Christmas? How does it feel? And then he found himself crying because he put himself, he really practiced a, a deeper level of empathy and, and thought to himself, if that was me, I can only imagine what my family would go through. And then he realized, and he said to me, he said, I think I understand what I put the family through and I could never do that again. But it, it starts with that restorative justice. He also met with, with Cheryl Kaiser Ward in this program uh, called the Victims Offender Ed- Education Group, which is a restorative justice model uh, that's hugely impactful. We're going to take a quick break. More of my interview with Sam Lewis is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, Sam, I got a couple more things that I think I think our our, our listeners would love to hear your perspective on. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a tough one out of the way. And and you've spent time wrestling with it. I've spent time wrestling with it. I did a lot of homicide cases in the past. Some of the defendants that I prosecuted, I'll bet you, Sam, they killed the only person they were ever gonna kill. I, I there's only one person in the world they would ever kill, and they killed them. And they'll go the rest of their lives without doing any act of violence towards anyone else. And and I'm convinced of that. And then I prosecuted people who just had no regard for life. And whether it was your life or my life or the clerk at the store's life, just no regard. The challenge is telling who from who. So as you, I mean, you've studied these issues. I mean, you've devoted your career to it. Identifying those that can be changed can be rehabilitated versus those that no matter how small or large people may think the group is it just i mean i'm thinking of one defendant right now so i'm not going to go into what he did but 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 it's just it's the kind of depravity that you just think i can't take a chance well i'll throw a name out i mean dylan roof i i i <laughs> I mean, how you walk into a church and shoot nine people because of the color of their skin. So is there a way to tell who can be helped versus who, you know, just needs to be separated from society? 
great question, Trey. Uh, so in my experience, it takes both time and programs. And let me clarify. Uh, I believe any person can change if they choose to. A person has to want to do to do that. But I also know that some people choose not to. They just stay like, I did that, and, and I have no remorse, and I'm never changing from that. And so through their actions, you can see this over time. And when you see a person that's trying to change, that's struggling to change, the opportunity for that person to change should be presented. And what I mean by the opportunity, they should be able to go into the restorative justice groups. Those groups should be made available. The anger management, the alternatives to violence and de-escalation of violence, the understanding of, of all these different things that, that make us move as human beings emotionally, what brings all of those, those things out? What made me do the things that I, I, I did? If a person wants to change, they will immerse themselves in those programs because they're searching for the answer within themselves of why did I do what I did? And for those that don't want to change, they won't. And I see it, Trey, I go into prisons all the time. The vast majority of people want something better. 95% of people that are in prison want the same thing that everybody wants. They want a safe community. They want to be able to earn a decent living and be able to raise their children and, and allow their families to grow up in safe communities. They, they want the, the same thing that we all want. That's the vast majority. They also don't often know how to get there and make bad choices along the way, whether it's selling drugs or robbery. And when we talk about capital offenses, like the one that, that you mentioned, the question for that individual is why? Now, if that person doesn't want to learn why, and doesn't want to change, that person is not going to involve themselves in these, in these programs. Because let me tell you, Dylan, it's tough when you start exploring why you did something that was so hurtful and mean and ugly. When I started going down that path and I looked in the mirror, it was scary. I, I didn't want to initially take the responsibility for what I did because it was bad. And I'm like, that's not me. So it took time for me to grapple with it to understand that this is what you did and you need to own it. You need to hold yourself accountable. And it's not an easy road by far. It's, it's, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. There's a lot of shame involved. There's the, the, the desire to be forgiven, but not to ask for forgiveness because it's not mine to ask for. It's for the people who I've harmed to give if they choose to. And so more concisely to your question, if these programs are made available throughout our system, the people that want to change will immerse themselves in those programs and do the introspection and the work to become the best version of themselves. And the people that don't will not, will not. And I, I have no doubt about this. They will not immerse themselves in this program because you know who's BSing and who's not when you're in these programs. There's a part in uh, the Victims Offenders Education Group where we say the group is allowed to hold your feet to the fire. Meaning if you come in and you've given us a superficial answer, and we all know in this group that it's superficial, we're going to hold you accountable until you either leave the group or you hold yourself accountable. All right, I want to tell people why what Sam is angling at and towards matters. You correct me if I'm wrong, Sam. The overwhelming majority of people who are currently incarcerated are going to be released someday. The overwhelming majority of them. The question then becomes... Who are we releasing? What are the character traits of those that are being released? 
And you know, I mean, people have seen it in 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 pop culture. They've seen it in movies. They've they've you know, imagine being incarcerated for twenty years and and you come out and the technology that has changed. I mean, how are you going to get a job? How are you going to how are you going to participate in society? Once we accept that the overwhelming majority of those currently incarcerated will complete their sentence and be released. Tell us what programs, systems you have seen that do the best job of preparing those primarily men, but we'll say men and women, for that inevitable reentry. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Trey. So you're totally correct. Ninety five percent of people that are in prison will return home. The question that we have to ask ourselves as a country and all of our communities and all our, our, our cities, how do we want them to come home? Do we want them to come home as the best version of themselves so that we enhance our public safety when they come home, they add to that public safety? Or do we just say, okay, let them do their time, and when they come home, we'll just deal with them however they come home, and that doesn't enhance our public safety. If we want to enhance our public safety, we have to be able to put programs into every single facility throughout this country to make sure that people become the best version of themselves and deal with, deal with whatever their issues are. Those programs include everything like the Victims Offenders Education Group or Restorative Justice, all of the components that go with that, including anger management, therapy, one-on-one therapy. Uh, and then when we look, these are, these are what you call self-help or uh, introspection groups that help you look at the why within yourself. There's a broad spectrum of them that are highly, highly impactful, but we want the evidence-based ones, meaning these programs have been running for a while. We have the data that shows that they have impact. We have the data that shows that people don't come back to prison when they go through these programs and that people don't commit any type of violent crimes once they go through these programs and, 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 and are released. The vast majority. I have to say this because these are human beings. There's not 100% on everything, but when you're talking about the high 90s, if you were to say 10 people were released out of prison, and one reoffended. I'd like to take those odds then compared to what we have now, which is a, a reoffending rate of uh, across the nation. I believe is sixty-seven percent, which means close to seven out of ten people go back to prison. And so, uh, included also after we do the introspection pieces that help people change how they think, uh, remove the criminal thinking elements that they're. Then we want to make sure that they're able to earn a decent living. And so investing in uh, various vocations, investing in education, post-secondary education. And I know people may say, well, why would I want a person to be able to pursue their post-secondary education while they're in prison? It's an investment in us. And when I say us, I'm, in, I'm sitting at my office right now at home. It's an investment in us. When I walk out my front door, I want to make sure that my grandson is safe and okay and he can ride his big wheel in the front yard without anything happening to him. And so I need to invest in the people that are inside facilities to make sure that when they come home, their focus is the same thing to make sure that their family is all right, that they're going to work, that they're doing everything that they need to do to make sure that their communities are safe. And this is also a financial investment in this sense. Look at it this way, Trey. In our country right now, approximately the prison budget across the nation is approximately $87.7 billion that we spend to keep people incarcerated. $87.7 billion. Now, let's break it down to a, a much smaller number. 
if you took me while I was incarcerated, it, took, it cost between sixty two dollars and $90,000 a year to keep me in prison. That's taxpayer money to keep one person in prison. In California, there are currently about 90,000 people in prison. So multiply that number by about 90,000. Now, let's take that same number. You release Sam Lewis. I've now been home almost 11 years. I earn a living. I own a home. I'm paying all of my taxes. I'm enhancing public safety. So the rate of return on investment is now we minus off that 90000 that it costs. We add in the salary that I make that pays into the taxes. And we add in the influence of positivity that I'm giving back to the community. Those are intangibles in terms of like the, what I'm doing in the community, but they clearly reflect enhancing public safety. And then the cost decreases. And so as we prepare people to come home and they don't reoffend, we're not paying for them to be locked up in cages. We've made sure that when they come home, they're paying back into that our tax base. And that $87.7 billion that has that continues to grow every year now begins to shrink. And that money stays in our communities and stays in our pockets. And we can pay for other things like uh, after school programs. We can pay for other things like more colleges, more uh, things for our young people to do science programs and science fairs instead of paying for prisons, because now we've reduced that recidivism rate that hovers at about 67 percent, 60 to 67 percent. We reduced that and we continue to reduce that until we're at a place where I don't think we let me say this. I don't think we can ever completely get rid of prisons, maybe not in my time, but I think we can decrease the number of people in prison while enhancing public safety if we do all of these things, if that makes sense. It does. And Sam, I'm, I'm going to ask you two more questions, one of which I got no idea what the answer is. One, I need you to help advocate. So I'll start with the one that that I think only you can answer, at least as it relates to Sam Lewis. Okay, we talked about what helped you when you were incarcerated. What could have helped you before then? What could have helped the 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old Sam Lewis that would have prevented that from happening, prevented that lost time you spent away from your family, away from your friends? Is there something that if you were to go back in time, you would say to a really, really young Sam Lewis that would have avoided what you experience another great question uh trey prevention i think is one of the key components to decreasing the number of people that go to prison uh, i think based on what i've watched in our communities is we need more investments in our after school programs and things for our kids to do when mom and dad are off at work and that that can range from everything from sports dance art the arts which covers dance uh sciences i mean robustly if you think about it and this is the hard part. If we could decrease the amount of money we spend on prisons and take that money and invest it in, into after school programs and programs for our kids that are that age. Can you imagine the scientists and architects and lawyers that would emerge from these programs? We don't have those in our community as robustly as, as we do or as we need. Uh, and for a nation as rich as this nation is, we should have those things. The kid that wants to learn how to be a scientist should be able to leave school or maybe it's at school after school and be able to uh, go into an enhanced science program when he's 10 years old, if that's what he wants to do or she wants to do. Or if it's dance and they want to learn more about ballet. And this is the hard part some people struggle with. It shouldn't cost parents anything. 
And the reason why I say it shouldn't cost parents anything, it should come from our tax dollars. And the reason why I say that is, imagine this is our future that we're creating now. And as we create this future, we create all of these opportunities for these children to become the best version of themselves in safe environments where they can learn how to be scientists. They can learn how to be architects. They can learn how to be the best ballerina in the world. Uh, but if they don't have those places to go to, where do they go? And oftentimes, like, uh, are they in front of a, a Xbox, a PlayStation, sitting at home, a TV? Uh, back in the day, I think our days, what, what, what was they called? Latchkey kids? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are the things I think to prevention people piece and then mentors. Uh, and what I mean by mentors, imagine a kid that says, loves to draw buildings, but doesn't know what an architect is, never met an architect. Well, what is an architect? And they have a, a, a mentor that shares, like, and, and it can be virtually because it's the world that we live in now. So there's, it's, there's so much uh, ability to do things virtually. That mentor can share, this is the building that I designed. Now look where it sits. Look at the beauty of it. Look at the, the, all of the things that I'm able to do as an architect. And that gives this child an opportunity to imagine what he or she can become if she, he or she stays on track and has an opportunity to go to places and do things that keep that child on track to make his or her dreams a reality. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. All right. You got to go to work and I got to do whatever it is old retired people do. So I, I, <laughs> I told you I had two more, but this time I really do have two more. I had, you know, Amy came on, they make t-shirts. When I was in Congress, we talked about, you know, accepting the fact that the overwhelming majority of people who are currently incarcerated are going to be released. And we're going to have expectations that they meet their familial and societal expectations or obligations. It's hard to do if you don't have a job. So if there's a potential employer or a small business owner that is listening and they say, look, Sam, I'm with you. I, I believe in second chances. It happened to you. It happens to others. But there's a risk involved. And yeah, I may get sued if I hire somebody with a record as opposed to hiring somebody that doesn't have one. Make the case for empowering potential employers to take a chance on someone who's been previously incarcerated. Absolutely, Trey. So imagine this. A person goes in for a job interview and they get to the question of have you ever been convicted of a crime? And that person says yes. And then the interviewer says, okay, and we're going to close the interview now. Now, the one opportunity that that person who's committed a crime doesn't get is a, a, a follow-up question. Well, now that you're home, what do you plan to do with your future? And giving that person an opportunity to share what have they done to correct their path and what are their hopes and dreams for the future? I think if we stop for a minute, we'll realize, and this is for employers, you'll realize you'll, you'll have a potential employee in front of you that will work harder than most, that will show up consistently. He'll be the person or she'll be the person that, that shows up early and leaves late. And that will be really loyal to the company. Now, there's always risk. And, and that's what people who've been in, uh, convicted of crime and people that haven't been convicted of a crime. And I think the enhancement of our public safety is something that we should consider and how that actually branches off. Law enforcement, often when, when we talk about things, we'll say enhance public safety and we're thinking about just uh, enforcing law in prisons and jails. But there are other ways to enhance it, such as giving a person a career or a career opportunity to earn a living and never go back to the lifestyle that they, they came from. And when you do that, you open up a window 
for this individual to not only change his or her life, but to change the lives of their children or their family in general, as that per their family sees them become the best version of themselves, working in the community and giving back to the community. All right, Sam, I'm going to let you go with this. You said something several months ago that stuck with me um, ever since I first heard it. When you were standing in front of a judge, he either said or led you to believe that you were irredeemable, that you were what you were, and that you weren't going to change, and that you were, uh, I mean, these aren't his words, but I think it's how it made you feel, that you were a perpetual menace to society, irredeemable. Something had to happen in your life for you to be convinced that even though that person represented the power of the state of California and a position of authority, that that person was wrong or something had to motivate you to prove that person wrong. What was that motivation? That motivation came in the form of my daughter, who was born a month after I was arrested. And uh, seven years into my sentence, I shared this with, with you, Trey, uh, I had gotten to know my daughter in prison visiting room. That's, that's where I first held her at, was in the prison visiting room. And I continued down the path while I was in prison. She would come visit, and I would be the good dad in the visiting room. And then on the prison yard, I'm still involved with gangs and drugs and all those things. And then seven years into my sentence, I got into some trouble, and I was headed to what they call administrative uh, segregation. And my daughter came to visit me, and she had never seen me behind plexiglass or in chains uh, she had always been able to sit with me and I was always able to hug her on this particular day. She walked into the visiting room and she sees me behind this, this plexiglass. And when she walks up to the window and she steps up on the bench and she sees the chains that I'm in, she had a look of curiosity first and then one of fear. And the fear I knew was not for her, but for me. And she asked me, why was I back there when she picked up the phone? She said, Daddy, why are you back there? Why can't I hug you? And all I could tell her was Daddy got in trouble. And she asked me, she said, without judgment, and she like really thoughtful at seven, she said, well, could you not get in trouble so when I come back, I can hug you? And I promised her I would try. And when she left to visit that way that day, I remember her saying, try hard. And that made me want to change. And what, in, what, what helped me along the way was my mom. My mom always told me, she always pushed education. She always told me, like, you can do whatever you put your mind to. You can do the right thing. You have to make the right choices. And my daughter just made me want to do that thing because I did not want to fail her. And in that moment, when I saw how much pain I was causing her and my mom and the rest of my family, it made me begin to wonder and ask myself those questions that led me down an entirely different uh, road to where I'm at today. Well, Sam, we live in a country that is uh, prides itself on law and order, prides itself on on public safety. And yet we as a people, I believe Maybe, whether it's rooted in religion or rooted in something else, are a people who believe in second chances and they believe in the power of change and they believe in redemption and forgiveness. And that's why I wanted to have you on. I, I wanted people, I think they know it, but I wanted to hear, wanted them to hear from someone who embodies and epitomizes all of what we believe in theory. And I'm guessing you will tell us that you are not a unicorn, that there are other Sam Lewises out there. They are, Trey. Uh, I'm not unique. I meet thousands of people every day when I go into institutions and prisons throughout California. And, and I, other states, too, I've been in, in quite a few institutions. There are people that, that are working to become the best version of, of themselves and that want a second chance. I left one piece out that, that uh, I should always be mindful about when I talk about my change. 
one of the things going into a prison, I was on a, a number of maximum security prison yards. I want to say this. God also kept me. God gave me the mother that I had. God put my daughter in that prison at that time. And so for me, I don't believe in luck or things of that nature. I believe in, in a, a God, a forgiving God, but a God that also holds you, you accountable. And so a lot of the things and a lot of decisions that I make are based on some of the tenets of, of, of what I believe in. And so when I say these things, I, I, I honestly believe that we do live in a country that believes in second chances. We do live, live in a, a country that when you hold yourself accountable, you can be forgiven. And most importantly, we live in a country that creates a pathway for us to be able to find that road to redemption. I'm not unique, Trey. There are so many people like me that made bad choices when they were young. And many are still in prison and many have come home and are doing some phenomenal work in the community. Uh, mentoring, coaching, running programs in the community. And these people have come home like me and just want to give back and see a better version of what we were once part of that we want to now enhance. And we want to leave behind us a legacy that says we started off on the wrong foot, but in the end, we understood what we had did wrong, corrected our moral compass, and came home and gave back to our communities. Sam Lewis with a perspective that uh, all of us will benefit from hearing. Um, I think intuitively we know or we should know that those that are currently incarcerated an uh, overwhelming majority of them will be released. The question is, who are we releasing and into what? Um, and whether or not they have something as simple, quite honestly, Sam, as an identification card and an outfit that they can wear to a job interview. And look, this is coming from someone who was probably considered a pretty tough prosecutor. Not probably, was. But when the debt is paid, the debt is paid. And I think most people believe that. And Sam Lewis not only paid the debt, he went on to try to help other people, which is uh, speaking of the holiday se season, you made reference to God. We have the birthday celebration for his son coming up here shortly. So hopefully this will give some, uh, some food for thought for those who maybe have not thought about these issues before. Sam, if people want to follow you, I don't know if you're on social media or not, you're probably too busy to mess with all that stuff. But if people want to follow you or, or, or find out more about you and what you do, how can they do that? Please Google uh, antirecidivism.org. Uh, uh, we're also uh, on uh, Instagram uh, as Anti-Recidivism uh, Coalition. Uh, and follow us. Uh, you'll see some of the incredible work we, we do. Uh, everything from helping people come home to helping people stay home to helping people find careers and just creating a, a better way for us to be able to make our uh, public safer and uh, giving people second chances. Uh, I'm often linked to that. I don't update my social media as, as often as, as we do uh, for our organization. But if you go to Anti-Recidivism Coalition, you'll also find me, uh, Sam Lewis. Yeah, Sam, you and I are probably close to the same age, and I, I got to remember that I have social media. I, I got to let youngsters <laughs> kind of handle that for me. But I hope 2023 brings you uh, good fortune, good health, uh, and more significance in the work that you have dedicated your life to. And I can't thank you enough for joining us. Take care, and I look forward to doing more work with you in the future and, and uh, creating a, a better future for all of us. I, I greatly appreciate you, Trey. Thank you. Yes, sir. And thank you for 
for listening to Tuesdays with Trey. We will see you next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.